Hello, and welcome back to Restaurant Planet Podcast with me, your host, Shako. So today I'm joined by Maureen Sovna, joining us from South Africa. So Maureen, welcome. Thank you for joining me and start by telling us a little bit about your background and what it is that you do. Hi, Jack. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm very happy that we get to record that, that podcast together. Um, so yeah, so my name is Maureen. I'm actually a French citizen. Uh, but I've been living in South Africa since 2015, uh, where I moved after completing a master in uh, conservation from Belgium, actually. Um, so that's a bit my, my background is research and conservation. Um, and then I'm, when I moved to South Africa, I worked on different uh, projects, including um, for a volunteer company, doing a bit of for, like research and conservation work. Um, and then after that, I moved to the Philippines, actually, uh, where I worked on the implementation of a marine protected area, um, which led to a publication. So that was very, very exciting. First uh, publication at the, at the first author. Um, and I also worked for like three years in, in the Okavango Delta in Botswana. So Okavango Delta being a UNESCO World Heritage Site and one of the wonders of nature. So absolutely fantastic opportunity there. Um, and then so I was running a luxuries camp uh, in, in the data for three years. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's basically a bit of background, research conservation and the tourism industry as well. So that's um, that's how everything came about in Gwe, actually. So nice. the whole project was born there. <laughs> Brilliant. So tell us about the situation of the, the Hoodsprit area and why intervention um, became necessary. So basically, so just to give you like a bit of, of, of context regarding the project. So the, the name of the project is called Ingwe Leopard Research. Uh, and it's a project from the OnTrack Foundation, which is a UK registered charity uh, that itself belongs to OnTrack Safaris, um, which is a UK company that provides safaris in nine different countries. And the owners, uh, Will and Carol Fox, they actually created OnTrack Safaris in, in order to help fund their work in conservation. Um, and so 100% of the benefit of on-track safaris are going to the foundation that is then going to Ingwe. Um, and then Ingwe was born, I mean, the whole idea um, about Ingwe, the stage it is now uh, and where it's operating was born actually when I was in, in the Delta. Um, and when I realized that uh, the guides and the guests, when they were coming back from Game Drive, they have such a huge amount of access to information on wildlife and they can truly help with monitoring those wildlife. So with, us, with all of this idea, basically, um, I decided to present this to the OnTrack Foundation and to take over Ingwe again. Um, I mean, it used to operate for years, but now I was just taking over. And, and basically, I decided to, to start the project in the Hoodspread area, which is in the Limpopo province in South Africa. So it's northern side, uh, northeastern side of South Africa, uh, next to the Kruger Park. Um, and I basically, I started over there at the beginning just because um, I knew the area and I lived in the area for a year and a half. So it was a bit easier for me to start a, a new project where I had contact, uh, different contact. Um, so just to give like for people to understand a bit how what Hoodspread look like. So it's, it's a very small town, uh, but it's surrounded by uh, many private uh, game reserves and also by the Kruger Park and by um, other reserves that are open to the Kruger Park. Um, and basically, so in, in the area, um, yeah, they, I felt that there was maybe a need to try to coordinate research on leopards in all of these reserves. Um, so that's why I decided to, to focus on, on that place. Um, and I think like there's a lot of work being done in, in the area in terms of, of wildlife in general. Uh, people are really aware of uh, what it means to be in conservation and what conservation does. But there was no big project on leopards. 
Um, and I'm a big leopard fan, so <laughs> mm. I thought it was a great way to to get started there, basically. And what are some of the, the things that you found regarding leopards, regarding perhaps populations, behaviors, trends, etc.? So basically, I mean, I mean the the kind of challenges with leopards in general um, is that so we don't have good uh, ideas of how many leopards are actually out there in South Africa. The estimations show that there's between 2.8 and 11.6 thousand individuals. So it's a very, very wide range. Um, and the reason why this number is not accurate is because leopards don't um, like move a lot, uh, that, like they disperse very far, um, and they occur a lot outside of protected areas. Um, so it's very difficult to 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 basically to monitor them. Um, and the idea was to try to get um, reserves, but also places outside of protected areas to have like a coordinated approach um, and to start sharing further information and to log the leopard sightings basically on one platform. Um, and then to try to understand, have an understanding of leopard numbers at the local scale and to understand movement and distribution as well. Um, so that's some of the, and all of this is like, like possible because I have so many different uh, stakeholders or what I call citizen scientists actually um, logging information on those leopards. Um, so yeah, that's, so I can explain like some of the, some of like nice fin like finding that I got through, through the project. Um, but just to, to give some ideas to like for, for citizen scientists, so what is a citizen scientist? So basically it's, it's anyone who can uh, participate with science or to research, but who is not a uh, researcher himself or herself. Um, and so like all my citizen scientists are either uh, guides that are providing, like uh, giving, um, going on game drive with their guests. So the guides, the rangers, or, and the guests are citizen scientists, and then any local residents of the area are citizen scientists as well. Um, and look, so what is very interesting is that citizen science allowed to collect a huge amount of data, but like on the long run, uh, and it, instead of doing like a snapshot at a, of a, of a, like a, like a, like a snapshot study, basically. So through citizen science, you have people collecting data constantly. Um, so there is a bit of challenges with citizen science data. They're a bit less robust than uh, other type of data. But but for me, like the the quantity there is so important uh, and can be actually analyzed as well. Like I mean, the quantity of data that you get um, is so huge and can allow to to provide much more information than doing a, a snapshot. Um, so that's like just to give a bit of insight about what are like citizen science data. Um, but like some of the cool findings, I mean, it's nothing new. The project is only a year old, uh, with like the number of reserves increasing every month. I mean, I, I had like, I started with like five in January. I'm on 25 now. So there's quite a, a big growth in terms of uh, how many stakeholders join in. Um, but like, for example, recently there was, um, we had like one of these locations called like a wildlife estate, which is where uh, people leave basically, but there's also wildlife going through. They have like zebras and giraffe and and warthog that are also living in among the houses. But leopards also occur a lot there, um, which can bring some challenges. We can I can talk about a bit later. Um, but recently there was like um, in March this year actually one of the male leopard that was born in the spread in the wildlife estate uh, moved so dispersed uh, because he was getting older. But no one knew what happened to that leopard. Uh, we don't know if it dispersed successfully 
And then two weeks ago, um, the guide from another reserve who was participating to the project shared basically the, uh, a photograph of the leopards. And then I was able to identify that leopard um, and tell, and tell the, the reserve who that leopard is uh, and, and update also the resident of the wildlife estate saying, okay, I found, I found that individual. He's doing well. He's been establishing a new territory in that area now. So these are things that are very possible now through because of citizen science and because so many people are participating, basically. So yeah, that's like one of the cool stories that happened recently that I was very excited about. Yeah. Can you talk a little more to the human-wildlife uh, tension, conflicts uh, sort mm. of situation and regarding all so, these different species and, of course, leopards? Yeah. So, I mean, the in in the area, they, um, they're a bit... There's not like he like heavy like maybe heavy conflicts because uh, like there's no like huge farm areas or anything although there are some and it, it happens uh, but I think the biggest challenges in in the in the hood spread area um, is just because there is like quite a growing human population and actually after COVID a lot of people from the biggest cities uh, moved to more like wilderness areas because everyone needed a bit of space and, and nature around themselves. Um, and then so like the population is actually growing and it means that there's more and more infrastructure and more and more development and it means that we're encroaching more on, on habitat. So luckily some places are um, protected areas and they are like established reserves. So this one won't be um, to touch, but still there's like, like a simple thing is in the area, there's this one of the main road um, and just like and there is more and more, of course, uh, cars on those roads, which means more potential roadkill on with, with with wildlife, with any wildlife. Um, also, like the the speed limit is extremely high on on that road, um, making it like quite dangerous and and challenging. So that's 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 due to like an increased human population there, but also the reality that we having by having so many people that come to live in those wilderness area that are not like bush aware, that don't necessarily um, understand what it means to live amongst wildlife. Um, it creates a bit of a, a bit of fear. Um, so for example, in those wildlife estates, like some people saying it's great to have the leopards going through. So they're always very excited to have a leopard being captured on the camera traps. But then at the same time, they're like, oh, this, this leopard is quite relaxed now. Uh, maybe it's going to take down one of my pets, which does, does happen every now and then, but it's very still rare or maybe my children are going to be um, endangered. So it's like, it's trying to mitigate this and to get people to realize that if you move in those areas, you know you're moving into a wilderness area. And um, so there's like some um, behavioral change to, to do and you need for the human for me to adapt to, to those area, not, not the other way around. Um, so like, it's more like this type of like perception to um, to risk about living in those estates um, that is quite interesting and that's something I'd like to study next year actually to do like a proper study to try to to understand this. Right, um, sorry this is very much a kind of sleepy safe English person in London question but do leopards actually attack people or take animals or are there any other kind of wider more kind of uh, direct conflicts between humans and wildlife? So it's honestly, like uh, in some of the, like around the Kruger Park, I think there was like one or two incidents uh, of a leopard taking down um, like a staff member actually from one of the lodge. Um, but like it's, it's very rare compared to the amount of encounter that you get. 
so like if you were to to see how many encounters people get of leopards on foot, especially on foot, it's where you're most vulnerable, like and how many attacks occur. I mean, it's, it's very small, but the reality is that it's just traumatizing. So you might have, it's a bit like your shark attacks, basically. You know, they don't, they really rarely occur, but when it occurs, it's shocking. Um, and it's, so like it's more, it, it, it brings a bit of a discrepancy there. Um, and then there's more attacks of leopard, but not only leopard, but like, carnivores on on some on livestock um, that also can be quite uh, traumatizing for the farmers like even if it happens maybe once or twice a year the fact that they're losing some livestock um, can have like very big consequences on their on their economy I mean on their financial uh, support system basically so but I would say globally no there is not we can't say that it's something that happens regularly or that is one of the big threats though of course. Um, speaking on from that, uh, so I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have travelled to South Africa a couple of times and seen the the veld. I believe it's correct. Mm. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, we were chatting a little bit before the recording about um, Cape Town had uh, water supply problems, which frankly seem to have uh, you know, been rectified. And I'm just interested. Thinking about South Africa itself in terms of and climate change, what changes um, have taken place, if they are taking place in the, the same manner that they might be otherwise in other parts of Africa that are more vulnerable mm. to, you know, climate change and other um, phenomena? So I think, I mean, that's something that is from not from what I've seen so far, not been like, have, I, let's say I haven't read like studies about the impact of climate change in the area. Um, there must be some, but to be honest, I haven't read them. But like from what I see, like if we have like, when we are like massive heat wave or one of the biggest issues in South Africa is, is drought. So there's not enough enough rain. And then um, then if you don't, if you Drowned. have your, the bush basically, yeah, drought, sorry, yeah. So, mm -hmm. and then you, so you have the bush basically that is not like enough time to recover. Everything is drying out and you praise the your your prey basically are starting to die off also um and then so it has like a quite a like an effect on the whole on the whole uh, chain basically so it's more i think the the biggest issue with climate change would be having extended drought uh, or actually also um really heavy rainfall that leads to uh to, to flooding or anything but like the drought has a strong impact on vegetation that has a strong impact on the prey base that then has an impact on, on carnivores as well. Right. So it's more like this type of effect um, that I'm sure we will start like seeing. Um, but, yeah. but also like recently, um, there's like quite a big heat wave now in the, in the study area. Uh, it's nothing to do with leopard, but I saw recently like a post on, on Instagram actually about like a baby owl that was clearly like suffocating in its nest and just like, <gasps> Try to left the nest because it was way too warm inside, and then so it was completely dehydrated. So like this has like quite some consequences also mm. on like on birds or um, that are like suffering a lot from from the heat here. Yeah. Right, and and as we touched, South Africa of course has such an incredible uh, abundance of of species and wildlife, um, and projects like sort of, of Ingwe, How do they fit into the wider South African? conservation context are there quite a lot of sort of local community groups that are taking it upon themselves um uh is the south African government itself getting involved with funding conservation at scale or how's how's the kind of the current uh scene when it comes to sure. 
these so, projects initiatives? Mm, so it, it depends on, on the areas, like for example, in the Western Cape where, where I'm, I mean, this is where I live around Cape Town, um, there, there's like one of the organization called the, the Cape Leopard Trust. So there they are like doing all of the work on Cape Leopards. They're just Cape Leopards are much smaller, about half the size of the leopard from the north. So they're like, they're not a different yeah. species, neither a subspecies, but they are like really, very really different though. Um, so there's a lot of work. This, this area is being covered by the Cape Leopard Trust. Um, and then more in the rest of the country, there's another organization also called Panthera, who's been uh, doing camera trap studies for years in the same areas. So they're just like monitoring a density to say if it's increasing or decreasing, uh, like leopard density. Um, but then with, with Ingwe, what I wanted to do is to try to get more people on board, more reserve, because it's always like some few reserves that are being studied over and over, but so many are not. And like a lot of reserves that are, or areas that are outside protected areas are not studied, although leopards occur mainly outside protected areas. Um, so I kind of like wanted to try to fill a bit of the gap over there, although so far, like in my study area, most of the reserves are inside protected areas, but I'm starting to move away. From, I mean, not away, but like add more that are outside, like your 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 mango and then citrus farm and and all of that that also have have leopards. Um, so there, this is what that kind of like the gap that I'm trying to to fill in. Um, and also, I strongly believe that citizen science is a, like an amazing way to get people involved. Um, and what is exciting is to get everyone to to collaborate a bit more because what I what I realized that each reserves um, they were doing their own thing so they had understanding of their leopard population in their own bubble basically uh, or inside their fences but then who knows what happened when those leopards leave I mean they don't they don't stay inside fences they go under they go over with trees and, and all of that um, so yeah that's 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 how it, it like all came about basically but then. To, to be like to be to be legit also so I'm actually registered with the local government uh, so I have to share all of the data with the local government but also at the national scale so there is um, an organization called SAMBI which is the South African National Biodiversity Institute and basically they are like the scientist mandate uh, organization that is um, dealing with with wildlife in South Africa so all of the data that I get goes through SAMBI and then the, um, they will be giving a recommendation to the government about the best way to conserve and manage uh, the leopard population. So, and one of the biggest thing is how many hunting permits to to deliver. Um, so that's one of the biggest challenges. Right, and, and is that quite an unfortunate, um, but it's part of reality um, for a lot of this kind of conservation is 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 the hunting part of the quote unquote conservation, which is to say the money that's spent on these um licenses to you know shoot animals mm. <laughs> sounds ridiculous but is then used to actually you know look after the animals themselves which is most incredibly contradictory uh one of those yeah, points to so make, it's, but, it, yeah it, it, it is a tough topic to to get in yeah. and i'm not sure like i want to to get inside like in, into Naturally. it right now completely but basically but at least for for i'm going to stick to leopards um, yeah. There hasn't been any trophy hunting permits issued over the last couple of years on, on leopards. Um, they are looking at maybe reopening it for next year. But the biggest issue with trophy hunting, for, I'm just looking for leopards now, not for other species, um, is that what we've, uh, there was a study that 
basically um, asked different hunters if they were able to recognize, um, to make the difference between the male and the female leopard and to age a leopard also. Uh, because what they realized is that in the past, the, the hunters were targeting some individual without knowing which individual it is actually. Um, and then you might target a, a female that is in a prime reproductive period or even like a young male. Or, so that was quite a big issue. And that's basically after that study, they stopped the hunting and say, okay, we need to reassess how we're going to, like, if we reopen hunting, how we, what are going to be the recommendation. Um, and the recommendation are that it needs to be a leopard that is seven, a male leopard, seven years or older, obligatory. So they really explain how to recognize those individuals, individual, um, but it's still not reopened though at, at that stage. Um, like, and yeah, so I think in terms of like the money that trophy hunting can bring into conservation is, um, I think in some part it is, it is true. There, there are some benefits. Uh, I do struggle to see it for, for the leopards because we don't have enough data and we can't, it's difficult to issue permit without, without knowing how many leopards are actually, um, around and also you need to make it fair in the different region and, and all of that so yeah so marie your, your your passion obviously comes across um quite clearly and i was just wondering tell me a little bit about some of the experiences that you've had being out there uh with mm. way or just in general um in south africa what it's like for someone who you know, what might not have been there <laughs> So actually, I mean, we, with the project, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not the one in the field anymore because, so, uh, as I said, like it's all the citizen scientists that are collecting data for the project. So I'm not, uh, unfortunately, I received a hundred of pictures and videos every month of leopards, but I don't get to see them as often. I think I'm a bit bad luck with leopards, to be completely honest, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's, uh, there's, I can't, I can't really explain like this, this connection uh, I have with leopard when I, or when I think about one or when I see one, it's something that, I don't know, triggers a lot of emotion inside me, which is, uh, yeah, it's difficult to explain. I think people can't see my face, but it makes me smile all the time just to think about them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they're just like majestic species. Then I think the, I think the, the advantage of leopards, honestly, there's a lot of people that are, um, completely in love with, with leopard. I almost call them like fanatics, which is not necessarily the nicest term, but, uh, <laughs> but it shows how, how people are like get attached to, to those, those animals. And the, and the good thing with leopard is that because you can have people connect very easily with that species, um, by protecting the leopard, then you also protect all of the other species under it. Right. So like, so that's like, it's an umbrella species, um, especially the leopard that goes really far out of protected areas doesn't care about fences um so i feel like working working with leopards allows to to safeguard a lot of other species under it um and like some like for example some of the measures that i like to put in place maybe one day we would have to see depending on on what the data are showing but on, as i mentioned at the beginning on that road um uh, that i feel like that's that is basically cutting through uh that is going through the hood spread area uh where there's like reserves on each side of it we, on that road, if we were to put um, speed bump, and I always give the example of maybe putting speed bump with like rosette pattern, so like the, the marking of leopards, and then another speed bump with like hyena pattern, then another one with wild dogs, just to remind people um, mm. that there's actually wildlife around themselves, around them, and then of course to get people to, to slow down. But this will of course not only benefit the leopard, it will benefit the whole 
the whole area. But I feel like if I get to implement this type of, of solution, you need to get the buy-in of the people. Like, yes. Because now if I tell them tomorrow, okay, we're going to put speed bump, I think a lot of them will be unhappy about it. But if you get them to connect with those, all of those individuals, leopard, um, to get them to know them, because all of the idea is to have, I mean, I'm, I'm providing like ID kits to, to the area, to for the whole of Woodspread, so like where people can see um, and, and see the name of those leopard or, or their code number and see like to, to really get attached to, to them basically. And then when there is conservation action plan that needs to be done, then they're like, okay, guys, we need to save this. We're doing this for them, you know, and, and you know them now, you know where they're going, you know they're going through your backyard. So it's much easier to implement. And then all of the other species under um, benefit from it as well. You mentioned uh, this is a couple of questions yeah. back now that you've got, I think, some research perhaps planned for next year. And I was just wondering what um, what what is what's what's in the, the pipeline for anyway? What work have you got coming up uh, in the future? So uh, for for next year, actually, um, so I'm, I'm working with um, I have a partnership with a local NPO, uh, which is called Transport to Africa. And they are like providing me with like students that are enrolled in different university in South Africa. And the, so like there's a couple of projects that we're going to be working on next year. So like one is to have to do like the social ecolog ecological survey of the perception of risk of living in those wildlife estates, because it is um, there's more and more um, talks in those estates about, as I said, like the fear of, of living amongst leopards and hyenas and, and all of that. So I feel that's something that is quite important to to tackle and to get actually people to realize, because I'm pretty sure the study is going to show that there is actually the risk is very, very thin. Um, mm. So like to get data to, to realize that, so that's one of the studies I like to do. Um, probably like a similar one to do in the community areas also. Um, so that would be in partnership with another organization uh, there. So like some study I like to, to get and then with the high amount of data that I've been receiving, I mean, I've, this year I've received over 3,000 images of leopards that are all going, I actually didn't mention this yet, but like that, all of the images are being processed on the on the AI platform uh, that's called the African Carnivore Wild Book, and that helps with individual identification of leopards. So uh, all of this goes through through that platform, and we are seven organizations in South Africa using it actually. So we're getting a bit of a database of the leopards in in the country, which which is fantastic. Um, so we'll have students also starting working on the data collected by the project. But it's nice because now we start, there's much more collaboration happening even with the other organization. And we're starting sharing data basically on that platform. So again, there's going to be a much bigger picture. Um, and so that's very exciting. So that's also something that uh, a student will be working on um, yeah, next year. So that's probably like the, some of the study that, that I like to get done. And uh, yeah, and then carry on increasing and getting like, probably like my biggest focus now is to get like the citrus farm and mangoes farm um, in the area to to participate to the project because I know they have leopards, um, and I, I want to get I want to get the information there. And that brings me on really nicely to my uh, penultimate question, which is: How would you like to see things, um, and how could you see things happening in sort of five to ten years time from now for leopards, mm. and more broadly for networking, for citizen science, and for conservation mm. um, in Western Cape and. Africa, so I think I there's, there's different aspects. I mean, on the citizen science part of it, as I said, citizen science, I mean, it's, it's used widely for birds. A lot of studies are being done with birds, basically on citizen science, not much for carnivores. Um, and I think 
for me, like I, I want, I like to see citizen science to be developed much more at a much bigger scale and to carry on developing in South Africa for the carnivores. Uh, although, like as I said, like, there's a bit of challenges in terms of data analysis, but that's the work from the statistical departments that need to find the best way to to analyze those data and it, it is being looked at more and more uh, even in, in the past it was not it was being completely underlooked so the first thing is to get citizen science to be um, used more to help monitoring wildlife or at least the, the big carnivores so that's one area um, and then actually the the whole project is actually a pilot study so i didn't know like how big the project would become uh, when i started it and and i believe that it is working very well to get everyone to actually now share information at a bigger scale, as I said. Like, I was not sure at the beginning that the reserve would be keen to actually share the information. But like now that I can see that this is working, potentially this could be replicated in other areas in South Africa also, um, where there are also a lot of reserves where we need like a bigger um, understanding like the leopards numbers and movement at a bigger scale. So potentially if this carry on developing like it is, it could be, but I would have I would have to get more people on the team because I'm a one-person team now. So <laughs> I can't spread, uh, spread too far. how these things start. Yeah. yeah. So I need to get it somewhere else. But I, and I think I, I like then also to to have a similar project for hyenas, actually, because um, hyenas are being highly persecuted uh, in general and it's a species that is being misunderstood. Um, so hopefully that could be something that is being working for hyenas because the same way the hyenas can be also identified individually looking at their at their pattern uh, and the platform that i'm using for leopard also works for hyenas wild dogs cheetahs and even lion actually lions actually with the, with the whiskers um so yeah that's uh, that would be like probably the direction for for the next couple of years brilliant and yeah finally marine where can people find slash for your work um get involved if they'd like to? Mm. So there's, I mean, different ways that you, people can like help out with the project. I mean, first, to, I mean, to, if people want to help out with the project and they want to go on a safari one day, they can <laughs> go on a safari with on-track safaris because as I said, like at the beginning, 100% of the benefits go straight to the foundation and to Ingwe. So it's a good way to travel uh, with a meaningful purpose actually. And like on-track safaris is UK based. Um, so that might talk a lot to <laughs> to the people over there. Um, so that's one way to, to get involved. But then also, uh, I mean, we have the foundation also where donation can, can be made. Um, and then in terms, the, the money will be used for donation to hire another person next year um, and to actually to get more camera traps uh, to put in those um, citrus farm and mangoes farm and all of that. So that's like, that's my biggest um yeah, that's, that would be the two biggest like areas of budget that I want to 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 get sorted basically for for next year. Um, and then in terms of so we have a we have a website, the On Track Foundation website. Uh, but but the best way to follow the progress is actually through social media, uh, on whether it's on LinkedIn or but mainly on Instagram and on Facebook under Ingwe Leopard Research. Um, and then I also have like a newsletter that that I send just every month, and then where you can see how many sightings were shared, which reserves came on board, uh, what are exciting development like, like recording a podcast or doing uh, a live safari to help with uh, fundraising and, and all of that. So, yeah, so like I think we can maybe share all of the links under the podcast uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100% would do just that. Noreen, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jack. Appreciate it. <laughs>